my mom and I lived in Mexico for a semester, and I turned three. I didn't know you lived and... in Mexico. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, well, I was two and a half. I was three. I turned three. And I had Aladdin in Spanish, and so I knew a, I knew a lot of Spanish from that movie. And apparently I was obsessed with the word la lampara. From oh, I was like, I know, <laughs> I know Bombilla is light bulb. Thanks in the Heights. But that's it. I mean, I know we've all taken Spanish at some point, and we're all from Texas. I just... But. And we all remember... I only know yep. how to say, where's the bathroom? Yep. <laughs> What's funny is when I think about, like, where's the ba- the bathroom, like, oh, I know how to say that. And they say, vos de... Except I'll say baño. So I'll just mix up German and Spanish, and that's not helpful for anyone. <laughs> Their boost. Okay. <laughs> Their boost. We gotta watch like the Lion King in Russian, because we all know it so well. <laughs> this should be hilarious. Right? Are you wait? Are you being for real, these? I've heard it. I've heard, no yes. Nightmare Before Christmas. So I watched my my parents and I put up our Christmas tree last night and watched Nightmare Before Christmas and I made Mexican cocoa. Nice. And I think that one would be a good one if I was trying to learn another language. I know all the words, so actually, yeah, that'd be super go. helpful for you. <laughs> start sending me, start sending me copies of Nightmare Before Christmas in Spanish and German and Russian <laughs> and Japanese and everything else in sure. between. I mean, no. why not? <laughs> yeah. That seems way more <laughs> All right, here we go. Welcome to Disney Versus, the podcast where we have animated discussions about animated movies. I'm Tori. I'm Grace. And with us, as always, is our producer, Heather. How are you doing, Heather? Doing good. Ta-da. Woo. Woo. <laughs> Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Tell us how we're doing. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Versus, and on Twitter at DisneyVS. Grace, what are our matchups for this week? This week, we have Inside Out versus Alice in Wonderland, Cars versus Up, Finding Dory versus Bambi, and The Great Mouse Detective versus Aladdin. A lot of Pixar this week. There's a lot of Pixar mm-hmm. this week. One, wow, yeah. One, two, three, four, four. Yeah. Half. And a lot of old this week, too. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland, Bambi, Great Mouse Detective are all older Older Disney yeah. movies. Yeah. Should be interesting. Is there anything either of you are really looking forward to talking about? Cars versus Up. <laughs> yeah. Definitely that. <laughs> definitely. Definitely Cars versus Up. Definitely. All right. Well, let's get into it. Our first matchup is Inside Out versus Alice in Wonderland. Inside Out is about a girl named Riley who moves from Minnesota to California, and she has five internal emotions that kind of keep track of her memories for her and these emotions are joy sadness fear disgust and anger um so they kind of keep track of her short-term memories and her long-term memories 
and kind of protect memories that make a significant impact on who Riley is as a person. All of these memories kind of are stored in these personality islands. During her move to California, Sadness gets hold of one of her core memories, one of Riley's core memories, and it turns blue. Joy is upset by this and is terrified that this is going to ruin Riley's memories and well-being. And in all the commotion, all of the core memories are lost in joy and sadness have to go hunt down all of these memories alice in wonderland is about a girl named alice who falls down a rabbit hole and tries to follow a white rabbit and attempts to find her way home and along the way she meets a bunch of creatures in this crazy land called wonderland she runs into the red queen who tries to cut off her head she escapes and it turns out it was all a dream okay what was your first impression of inside out Everybody cried. Basically. Everybody in our theater <laughs> cried. Everyone. I didn't cry. Bing Bong almost got me. Almost got me with Bing Bong. Oh. Yeah. I was fine. People around. I saw it in a really small theater. And it was a really emotional time in my life. And people around me were crying. I was fine until Bing Bong. And that was it. <laughs> Take it to the moon for me. Tears. <laughs> Just. Oh my god. Everyone. <laughs> yeah but i really enjoyed it i thought it was very unique i thought it was funny i loved anger because i'm a lewis black fan uh-huh. i thought it was really clever and it was a very abstract concept for pixar to tackle i honestly don't think that kids uh-huh. get this on the same level as adults like nowhere close i don't even think this is a kid's movie i think it is a very complex idea and it does a good job of keeping it interesting I'd, I'd be interested i've never watched this with a kid so i don't know how it would be perceived what was your first impression of alice in wonderland quote what the fuck is this movie end quote <laughs> that was my reaction to alice in wonderland that's all i got i don't remember ever seeing this as a kid but i remember watching it when i was maybe 16 or 17 and just not understanding And then as I sat down to watch it for this podcast, I thought, well, it would make sense if this was kind of associated with the 70s and the kind of... Drug culture. Drug culture. But (laughs) as I was watching it and and realized how old it was, I looked it up and it really, like, Disney tried to stay away from having it associated with drug culture until much later, until really the 70s, Mm -hmm. where they were kind of like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, it's a real twisty, turny movie. It's very weird. It's kind of all over the place, and that's the point, because it's Wonderland. Everything is... It's in her dream space. It's all in her imagination. Let's get into the plot of Inside Out. Heather, you gave a really good... As we were talking about this beforehand, you gave a really good kind of explanation. Do you have any more to add? Yeah, you you basically got, like, most of the concepts and stuff like that of it, so that was... Really good, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, basically with the move, um, how I kind of perceived Inside Out, it's a little message thing or whatever. She's an 11-year-old girl, and she's been happy her whole life because she has a great hockey team back in Minnesota. She's got great friends. Her family's always been there, you know. Mm -hmm. And so with this move, she is feeling new things, and she doesn't really know how to handle them, which is why Joy 
she was kind of like the face of Mm -hmm. Riley. And when her parents basically asked her, asked Riley to stay the happy child that they always knew, it like kind of created like an inner turmoil to the point where sadness was starting to like touch memories Mm -hmm. and they all started turning blue and no one knew what was happening and like sadness didn't know why she was doing that Mm -hmm. either. And so what I took that as was Riley's body, mind, whatever, trying to make sadness the more prominent emotion versus joy because she needed sadness to get through this move to become happy again, which is like later shown when they're like going through some of the core memories and sadness and joy both quote this one memory. When her hockey team, right? Yeah. When she, she didn't uh, make, she missed the winning score. Sadness remembered it as they lost, and so she felt really bad. So Riley felt really bad, and she wanted to quit. And then Joy remembered it because her family and her friends were all there uplifting her and, like, trying to make her feel better or, like, celebrate with Mm -hmm. her. And so that's actually when Joy realizes sadness helped Riley through that process to become happy again because she let out her emotions and and then she was fine. See, this movie's really deep. Yeah, it's it's so I think it's a good call out that sadness doesn't really understand why she's touching the memories, why she is compelled to affect these memories. Yeah. And I think I think in many ways, this movie can be a commentary on depression, which is a hard concept for kids and younger adults and even adults to understand sometimes, especially if you've never really gone through something like that. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Riley's conundrum is fairly basic she's moved she's 11 years old she has a friend's base and she's moving to a land a land she's moving to a city where she doesn't know anyone and she doesn't have a team and there isn't hockey but going back to the depression piece we don't know why that happens and of course biologically we have an idea now but it doesn't always make sense as we're experiencing it and i think it's a interesting idea Mm -hmm. that these things in her head are having kind of an impact on how Riley is experiencing these things and that's similar to how mm-hmm. how humans experience emotions is a lot of it's chemical and we're just kind of going through the steps with those chemicals and balance and and seeing how it affects our world yeah it's hard to talk about the plot of Alice in Wonderland it's even yeah it's even harder to talk about uh, well actually it's probably harder to talk about inside out I think than Alice in Wonderland so Alice in Wonderland is based off of Lewis Carroll's book. I've never read the book. I did read the book. I read it when I was working for Chicago Opera Theater and I was writing a lesson plan. And it doesn't read as crazy. It definitely reads more like a dream state, I think. But the Tweedledee and Tweedledum story, that's from In the Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. That's not from Alice in Wonderland. So there were definitely ideas that were taken from that as well are there any parts of this movie that you really like i think that what i enjoyed was the cheshire cat scene and Uh i kind of think that's it (laughs) (laughs) the scene with the hookah smoking caterpillar i like that scene too yeah the vowel song yes Uh, who are you then that's it so just two scenes i i really didn't care for this movie let me put it out there. A very merry birthday to you. I think there's something, I, I don't think this is what the song's about, but I think there's something to be said for you have a birthday, it's one day out of 365, 
And so for the other 364, find something to celebrate, even if it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a good thing to think about. Yeah. We should start doing that. Right? Just celebrating. I'm going to start texting you. Very weird birthday to you. What are you doing to celebrate today? <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get text, Grace, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I mean, if I'm having a bad day, and I'm just I'm not in the mood. Maybe. Okay, let's talk about the characters a little bit of Inside Out, speaking of sadness. So we've got Riley's five basic emotions, joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. And joy is this bright, bubbly little pixie figure that has bright blue hair and is shining yellow and is really kind of the the main controller of Riley's control system. She's the leader. Control center. She's there she's first. The and she's really Riley's champion. Yeah, she is there first. She's from Riley's memory of... It's not birth, She's there it? from birth. Yeah, she's there from birth. Yeah, she's there from birth. Sadness. Sadness is this kind of short, squat, blue figure in a cozy sweater. And sadness kind of lies on the floor sometimes. We've got fear. Fear is basically like this kind of lanky figure and he thinks of like worst case scenarios ever so for example riley going to school uh to the new school he asks everybody how to spell meteor (laughs) because his worst case scenario (laughs) one of them is meteor hitting hitting the school i guess that's that's good that's the worst thing (laughs) that could happen so anything smaller (laughs) than that is is not that bad yeah that was in the top three and the third one was being called on by the teacher Uh which everybody knows is going to happen if it's Mm -hmm. your first day at a new school and so it happens and he's like right out of the gate like he (laughs) he just starts screaming (laughs) and everyone's like oh calm down calm down i think fear has some really good moments but is kind of the most underrated of the emotions like he's not featured all that Mm -hmm. much but he has some really good comedy moments just like completely outlandish of course these are things that we thought when we were 11 years old like of course i remember i still think those things now (laughs) (laughs) we've got disgust who is this green spunky i feel like disgust is the sassiest yeah she's so sassy i feel like disgust is probably (laughs) You remember that thing that was going around on Facebook, the three characters that represent you? Disgust might be one of them. She is so sassy. (laughs) (laughs) And then we've got... Oh, no. Is that broccoli? (laughs) And then we've got (laughs) Anger, who... I think, Tori, you said Anger is your favorite? probably the best. He doesn't have all the jokes. He just has all the quips and the outburst moments that is like, Uh yeah, he's right. That's funny. And he's Uh right. (laughs) I mean, broccoli on pizza? What the hell? He punches fear out of the way. Right? Yeah. And things that you don't really need to be angry about, but you're still like, really? No, that's not a thing. Let's not do that. Yeah, and when sadness and joy disappear, he kind of takes over. He's kind of the third. Uh He's not really... Mm -hmm. He's basically the second in command to joy because when they leave, he takes over. The yin to her yang, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and they all try... They all have their different turns. Like, fear tries to take over and it doesn't really work. And then... And the disgust tries to take over, and she makes a snarky comment to her parents, and her parents are like, "Excuse you." That's when anger comes in, and he's like, "Oh, I'll, I'll freaking show you what." And I'm anger's right the now. only one that really sticks. Like it's his idea for them to run away, and that's yeah. the only emotion. Like her in this order, it's her emotions. It's joy, sadness, anger, and then fear and disgust are kind of tied. 
I think that's a good kind of anger is the only one that sticks because I, I do think anger is a more powerful emotion than than fear and disgust and even sadness can be more than sadness mm-hmm. it's definitely on par with sadness mm-hmm. at times so I think it makes sense and and certainly if you're having a hard time finding joy in your life then anger is only gonna come out of that I mean, this all sounds so deep but really it's a, it's a kids movie is it is it a kids movie like we said at the top <laughs> it's really bright so i don't think it's a kids movie i think it's just made by a company that makes movies that are usually marketed to kids i think this is way too high concept for kids if i was you know 11 this would fly way over my head it depends on the kid i think because a lot of kids have to grow up really quick yeah i think this was geared towards the toy story 3 audience that's fair oh yeah definitely we are the kids who were right at that age when toy story 3 came out we graduated high school in 2009 toy story 3 came out 2010 right after our freshman year of college Mm -hmm. yeah so we're one year off from lighting up with that timeline and and i do think toy story 3 was a, a, a really hard emotional hit for me at least and i didn't even care for the first two toy stories that much as i've gone back i enjoy toy story one more don't give me that look tori yeah i was about to say uh oh fine words <laughs> we'll get we there. are not there yet um but i think i think <laughs> pixar kind of realized that they have that uh, not that they didn't have that audience before but just how much they can speak to their more adult audience and i'm glad they didn't shy away this is a very different movie it's a very original idea which is why i love pixar movies so much is because they're Disney movies tend to kind of recycle the same themes and go back to Grimm's fairy tales or things like that. Pixar stories tend to be fairly original, and this is a very original idea. What did you think of the characters in Alice in Wonderland? I mean, they're pretty iconic. There's the Cheshire Cat, there's the Red Queen, there's the White Rabbit. I like the hookah-smoking caterpillar, and Alice was kind of a ditz, (laughs) but that's because she was, you know, a daydreamer. And she was like eight or something wasn't she what did they even say her age yeah i don't know i think on the internet i read that she's 12 but she's the youngest yeah she's the youngest. her older daughter is the one who's reading to her at the beginning oh, oh. Yeah. i thought that yeah. was like a teacher. Like her mom or something. I, I did too but yeah it's her sister that's teaching her a history lesson would you say that there are villains in either movie no Maybe the Red Queen? Well, I, f- I feel like the Queen, the Red Queen could be a villain. Yeah, I would classify her as a villain. I think sadness can be seen as an antagonist, yes, but not as that. a villain. Okay. I think in Inside Out, I feel like Riley was fighting herself. So I don't, I don't know if any of her emotions are exactly antagonists, because in some cases, like, sadness can be the antagonist because joy wants to take over but at the same time joy can be the antagonist because she's not letting sadness do her job yeah i see you know there are a lot of times where i remember writing down that joy's ideas don't make sense when she's just trying to sadness just do this Uh and it's you know i wrote down joy you're what everything you just said makes no sense what are you doing just Uh let sadness do something and there's kind of like a defining moment with that when bing bong gets really sad because he loses his vehicle Uh And Joy is like, hey, let's do a, let's play a game of let's get us back to like headquarters. And it's like, let's keep going. Let's keep going. You know, in her very Leslie Nope way, <laughs> it takes, it takes like sadness 
sitting next to Bing Bong and being empathetic. Like, yeah, y'all probably had a lot of really good memories. Yeah, she was really empathetic with him and let him cry it out. And then he was like, okay, I'm good to go. And that's when Joy's like, oh. And then with Alice. The Red Queen is the villain. I don't know. I she just Red, gets lost. Queen. Yeah. Like, the Red Queen is the villain, like, at the end. But up until then, it's basically just Alice getting lost. Speaking of <laughs> Bing Bong, I know it's the scene that made everybody cry. <laughs> I'm really bothered. I really think it's a plot contrivance to jerk people's tears around that Bing <laughs> Bong had to sacrifice himself when... Heather, we talked about this. Why didn't they just find a more powerful song yeah, we to did. sing? Riley doesn't have a favorite song that they all know that could have got them. No, I think up the. Oh mountain. no, I I I totally disagree. I think it's a it's a coming of age. It's something you have to sacrifice to grow up. Because as children, of <laughs> course, we have we have imaginary friends and we have dolls we like to play with or blankets or we have these things that are near and dear to us as children but as we grow up they become less important to us and some of those things that are perhaps more ridiculous like bing bong kind of get left behind in our childhood and not in our adolescence or adulthood so i think that's a necessary sacrifice i think it's interesting because it's not from riley's point of view it's very much from the thing that's being sacrificed just like in Toy Story, how these toys are being given away and we're seeing it from their point of view and how emotional that is for them. I think this is kind of the inside out version of that. Okay. I think I connect more with the Toy Story 3 one than this. The way you just explained it, I get it. Yeah, that's perfect. I don't think I can add any, I'm, anything I'm still into mad. that. So I'm still that's a little nice. mad though. <laughs> so I've seen it maybe three times and I remember seeing it in theaters and being really wretched by that and then both times I've seen it since I've gotten really choked up by it and it's still very it's still very emotional every time even though I know it's coming do you what did you think of the music of these two I already said that I liked the what was it the vowel song from the uh uh-huh. hookah smoking caterpillar mm-hmm, from Alice in Wonderland that was okay an interesting note about Alice in Wonderland is at least at the time, and it might still be, it has the most songs out of any Disney movie. It has 30 songs. What? Which you don't think about because they're shorter. But yeah, it has a ton of different songs. And a lot of the lyrics are taken directly <laughs> from books. Lewis Carroll's books. Oh. Yeah, so I think that's a really cool kind of tie-in. I'm a big fan of A Very Merry Birthday. But yeah, aside from that, there isn't really anything that I really love. Giacchino did the... Is that right? Did you? I know he did. Up. He did Inside Out as well. I remember this being <laughs> very. This isn't one where I really remember themes, but it's definitely all very emotionally charged. Like everything yeah, plays into the emotions that you're supposed to be feeling at the. At it's the another mood based film, and it's. I remember writing down the opening music. I just want to kind of tear up at the beginning because it's just so mellow and it's kind of sad it's so melancholy at the beginning yeah i remember the themes i remember walking out of the theater saying that i really need to get this soundtrack so i i like the music at Uh some point i just don't remember it right now yeah yeah so which one of these two (laughs) which one wins tori inside out wins i already said i'm not a fan of alice in wonderland it was too all over the place for me i didn't get it I mean, if there was something huge that I was supposed to get from Alice in Wonderland, it completely blew past me. I like the high concept of Inside Out. I want to see a kid who watches this as a kid and doesn't get it 
and then grows up uh-huh. and starts to understand yeah. it more and more. I want to see that. And I think this is a rare kids movie that will do that for a, a kid. Uh-huh. And they immediately burst into tears even more so than when oh, they, they, they watch it the first time. time. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. Grace, what's your pick? My pick is Inside Out. I think it's it's a great movie for adults. To our listeners, I'd be interested in hearing from any of you that went to see this with your kids um, or that have watched this with your kids and let us know how they think about it and if it's changed since it's come out. It came out about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I'd I'd just be interested to kind of hear that viewpoint. The characters are relatable. I mean, they're, they're meant to be the parts of Riley's being the the emotions that that most make up Riley's being and I I think all of the things she goes through are relatable and that's why it's so easy to make a emotional connection to this movie Alice in Wonderland is a crazy ride and I don't think I need to see it for a very long time agreed (laughs) just a quick question about Inside Out Riley's from Minnesota and she has a hockey island do all Minnesotans have a hockey island? What do you think? I mean, I feel like it's like your favorite sport do, kind of do thing. Do Texans so like, have like I mean, football yeah. island? Is that a thing? Oh, yeah, totally. I probably okay. have basketball also, island. Also, I feel like, cause that's I what feel I like lots of kids, particularly where we grew up, played soccer. I never played soccer. I didn't play soccer. I actually played t-ball. I feel like that was a thing. I played machine pitch. In first and second grade, Whoa, I know. Oh, got a badass over here. In first and second grade. We were the fireballs. Yeah. <laughs> or if it's not a sport like how i just said i might have a basketball island because that's what i played when i was growing up we might have like music island that's, yeah. that's where we fit in my thought was her tribe like those are the people that she is surrounded yeah. herself by mm-hmm. and so yeah that would absolutely i would definitely have a music island even though i don't identify as a musician yeah. anymore yeah i think that makes a ton of sense so our next matchup is cars versus up up is about a man named Carl Fredrickson who, after losing his wife, decides to fulfill their dream as a couple to fly their house to Paradise Falls. And the movie's basically about his adventure on the way and what happens when he gets to Paradise Falls. Cars is about a race car named Lightning McQueen who's pretty new in the race circuit and he ties her first place in a grand prix and on his way to california his driver falls asleep some cars antagonize him he falls out of the back of the trailer and he gets lost in radiator springs which is this small town off route 66 and it's about how lightning mcqueen earns his way out of radiator springs after ruining the town what was your first impression of cars and up i don't remember seeing up for the first time but i remember sitting with my mom as she watched up for the first time and she was crying within the first 10 minutes of course that changed how i viewed up it starts off as a very emotional movie and i think it's great that they start off with carl's story of how he met his wife and how they were magically in love and great adventurers and then we meet him as this old grumpy geezer because The easier route would have been to introduce him as this unlikable geezer character and then kind of reveal as we go on. But I like that they have that onset of this is who this guy was initially. 
my first impression of Cars, I remember seeing it with my mom in theaters when it came out, and I was so underwhelmed. And I think it was because Cars came out... Cars came out in 2006. It was right after The Incredibles, and it was right after Finding Nemo, and it was right after Monsters, Inc. So we had such high standards for Pixar at that time. And then Cars came out, and it just it's not at the same caliber. So in my head, for the last 10 years, I've thought Cars was a crappy movie, and it's really not. I, I actually really enjoyed it after watching it again. I actually watched Cars 2 before I watched Cars 1 when I was preparing for this podcast, and that didn't bother me at all, but I was pleasantly surprised. What about you? I disagree with your original impressions of Cars. I I always thought that Cars was another Pixar hit, and I thought the first time they had a misstep was despite me liking the film brave because it wasn't uh-huh. it wasn't an a it was like a b plus i liked cars a lot i like the heart in it because it's a basically a jerk who finds out how to not be a jerk anymore and lightning basically gets humbled and it's a great story and it's the way it's like a guy it's like a romantic comedy about a guy who's a city guy and he gets stuck in the country and figures out uh-huh. how people live outside of the bright lights. It's a really well-told story. What did you think about Up the first time? The first time I saw Up, I loved it. Like, not until recently did I see the light. Let me get this <laughs> off my chest. The first 10 to 15 minutes of Up are great. The rest of the movie I don't think is all that special. Yeah. So let's talk about the plot of Up while we're while we're on the topic. Carl meets his wife early in, you know, as a child. They're kids. And Carl is super into the explorer Charles Muntz. And he's he meets Ellie, his wife, or his future wife, and she's into Charles Muntz too. And of course they hit it off. Their meet cute is great. And then the first ten minutes of Up, there's no dialogue. It's just a visual timeline of their whole relationship up until Ellie ultimately passes away. Spoilers, she passes away, but it's in the first 10 minutes, so that's okay. <laughs> and then the rest <laughs> of the movie too. is Carl basically, I guess, dealing with it because we don't really get to see much of how he deals with the loss. I'm In my head, I guess we pick up a couple of months after Ellie dies. Uh-huh. To me, it's not, it's not him dealing with it. It's just reclaiming his life. Like, this is something that he promised her. Yeah. And they were supposed to do together. And he's about to move into an old folks home. And or be he's, moved. And he doesn't want to do that. And so he goes to these great lengths. He blows up all of these balloons because he's been, he's, he's sold balloons <laughs> in Ellie's zoo for years and years and years. It's a minor connection to me. He sold these balloons in the zoo that was Ellie's and that he uses those to fulfill their lifelong dream. I don't think it's him mourning her. I think it's more a celebration of her life and their relationship together and just fulfilling his promise. I don't have very strong feelings about this movie. I feel like I should have stronger feelings. His relationship with his wife is very beautiful, and but it's the first 10 minutes. And then the rest of the movie is cute, and it's this old man who's not really about this boy scout who's surprisingly in his house 
before we go on, I think the first 15 minutes is another instance of Pixar going over the kids' heads. Yes. I feel like, let's say, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old isn't going to get some of that, if not all of it. Yeah, I think they get... I don't think it's over their heads. I don't think it's going to impact them as emotionally as it will adults who have been in love. But I still think there's nothing out of their reach. Yeah. Inside Out is is very complex. Not to say love isn't complex, but it's a it's a pretty basic. It'd be easier for parents to explain the first fifteen minutes of Up to a child than for a parent to explain all of Inside Out or any of Inside Out. Yeah. Yeah, I think the only thing that kids will be confused about because I know I think I was kind of confused about it whenever she was pregnant and then they were in the hospital that's and true. she was crying. Yeah. yeah. Th- I feel like that's kind of the only thing they'd be like, wait, what happened? Because that's what I was like. I was like, wait, so did she have a miscarriage? Did she like go through with it? And then it was a stillborn? Like what happened? Semantics. It was lost obviously, but you know, so I think that's the only thing. Cause they'd be like, but she was going to have a baby and what? Yeah. yeah that you My probably have to explain to a child. So the plot of cars is that lightning McQueen goes into the city the cop is chasing him around town, and he ends up destroying the city. That's not, not uh, so much the city. He messing just up. screws up the road. Well, he does damage some of the city, but like it's it's nothing major. The the road is what's messed up terribly. Yeah. He goes to court and is held prisoner until he completes repaving the road. Yeah, he's kind of on a ticking clock because he's trying to get to the finals at the Piston Cup because he's a rookie uh-huh. hotshot mm-hmm. race car. What did you think about the characters in Cars? I liked the characters in Cars. They were very... It was a very diverse cast. It kind of had every kind of townie, as as far as uh-huh. a car would go. You know, you had the person who owned the gas station. You had the, the paint and body guy. Uh-huh. You had the tires guy. And they were all kind of small towny people. And they all depend on each other. Yeah. If one of them goes out of business, then none of them can live there. Which they make a big point of why it's important that Lightning fixes the road. Yeah. And they go through the thing about how the town used to be so vibrant and how once the interstate was made, business stopped and then everybody kind of disappeared. And being from small uh-huh. townish Texas, you see towns like that all the time. One stoplight towns. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Lightning McQueen's first sponsors or sponsor is Rusty's and the two cars that represent Rusty's are the two brothers from Car Talk on NPR, which I thought was a very cool kind of throwback. I think Cars has some of the best Easter eggs because oh yeah, there are monster trucks and they're uh-huh. Sully and Mike from Monsters, Inc. And then they have actual uh-huh. race car drivers because yep. I think they had Dale Earnhardt Jr. and oh, shoot, I'm going to say Tony Stewart because uh-huh. I can't think of any other race car driver they made cameos as cars like as their actual cars in the movie they had bob costas as bob cutlass oh the guy the announcer um, who was the commentator (laughs) dale earnhardt was junior michael schumacher ferrari yeah yeah but pixar is like the king of easter eggs period like their earlier films had animated bloopers no films do that anymore let me go ahead and get these hot takes off for up my feelings about up are mostly negative because after looking at this movie objectively this movie basically just says screw physics and that bothers me (laughs) heather and i were going back and forth about this while we were watching it you mean 
I can't lift my house with balloons. No, you can't lift your house with balloons. I'll give that. I'll give that a pass because without the balloons, this whole movie doesn't happen. Cartoons. And it's whimsical, and it's yeah. colorful, and it's pretty, and it's a funny thing to think about. But once they get to South America, how old is Carl? Do we know? Is he seventy? Let's say he's seventy. Seventy-year-old like shouldn't be able. No matter how in shape you are. I don't care if you're Schwarzenegger. You shouldn't be able to drag a house by a dog harness. You just shouldn't. <laughs> I feel like if it's floating, sure. Mm, it's hovering above the ground. Yeah, I feel like it would. Ta- yes. It would take you with it. Yes. If anything. <laughs> Maybe, but if it was already moving in the direction, like if it had any momentum, I feel like you would have. I. I'm you would... completely blowing this out of my ass. I don't know. Okay, if it had <laughs> momentum, it would take more than just a 70-year-old and a 10-year-old to change that momentum and direction. Also, I'm going to hold back a little bit. Charles Muntz, the villain. Let's talk about the villain in Up. Because Cars doesn't really have a villain. Unless you count Chick, the green car that light- Lightning is racing against at the uh-huh. Piston Cup. He's not really a villain because he's hardly in the movie. He's in the beginning, he's in the end. That's it. Let's talk about Charles Muntz, the villain from Up. There's no way that he is still alive. Let's say in the beginning, he's Carl's hero. Why not? He's Carl's hero. Let's say during that film strip, Charles is 30. I'd probably say in the tw- in his 20s. Let's, okay, let's say he's 25. Oh, you, when could say, he gets... you could say 20. Let's say he's 20. So let's say he's 16 years older than the kid. No, no, no. He's way older than the kid. Carl is like nine, nine or 10 when he, during yeah. that film strip. So, so 15 years. Okay, 15 years. We don't know so how 85. long he's been gone. We don't know how old that film strip is. I'm saying Charles Muntz should be a lot less mobile than Carl is. <laughs> I like that phrase better than he should be dead. I'm not going to say he should be dead. (laughs) But you did, so that's why I'm glad you rephrased yourself. Maybe he's not dead, but he should be a lot less mobile and a lot closer to... Well, but if he keeps in shape, now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, he lives basically out in the wild and, like, definitely way older, like, grandpa... But he like has age, dogs like doing all that his are dirty way more work. in shape than I am. He has dogs doing all his dirty work. He still has to walk. He still like yeah. you still see him walk around and stuff. Yeah, the dogs do some of the work and stuff, but my he's still walking is, around with My the thing cane. is his his age doesn't match up with the rest of the timeline for the movie. I mean, we don't even know how old Carl is. I, it's it's a sticking point for me and Pixar needs to be better cuz <laughs> that's a huge timeline error. Interjection on the physics. Google says it would take 105,854 balloons to lift the house. There was a it lot didn't look less like he had that and <laughs> Roughly so you, 1, for 1,492,537 cubic feet of helium. Yeah, he didn't have enough tanks for that when they left. He didn't have enough time. No, there's. It's a cute idea, no but way. it's bullshit. <laughs> And if anybody comments, wow. if anybody comments colorful. on this episode and says it's just a kids movie, I will find you. I have a specific set of skills, and it makes me a nightmare <laughs> for people like you. As much as we're down on up, I'm a little surprised at how much everyone's down on up. I will say it is beautiful, and there is some really, especially in the first 
in the first couple scenes when the house is lifting off the ground and you're seeing the balloons pass these city buildings, there are a couple shots, especially uh, we're passing this girl's bedroom, and a room is overcome with all of these colors, and then you see the house pass by. That's beautiful, and it's it's magical. Yeah. It's majestic, and... That's my favorite scene, straight up. It's very evocative of, mm-hmm. like, I think it just... It brings out all the feelings you're supposed to have at that moment. It's it's that beautiful mm-hmm. and that colorful. So I do think that's very cool. Do you have any comments about the other characters in either of these movies? I think we said most of what we needed to say about Mater in the Cars 2 episode. Yeah. I think Mater was better in this movie than in Cars 2 when he was basically the star. I love the tractor tipping scene. I love it so much. It makes me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> We talked a little bit about Cars, the Cars animation, when we talked about Cars 2 in the last episode. It seems pretty basic. There's nothing terribly special about the animation in Cars, right? Not really. They do a really good job with, how would you imagine an anthropomorphized car? They do really good things like that. I think something I remember is uh, during the first Piston Cup race, everybody crashes and lightning jumps off of somebody's tires and does the stretch out with his tongue out like Michael Jordan used to do. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was really funny as a kid. <laughs> that and them and cars coming after you were saying the Incredibles and Finding Nemo and all that kind of stuff. I didn't really see a lot of growth in their animation Yeah, from those movies. Into and they cars. didn't do a lot of their world building until Cars 2. I mean, the animation yeah. isn't mm-hmm. bad. It's just wasn't. It hadn't no. done anything revolutionary yet. Yeah, exactly. I mean, except for filling an entire stadium up with anthropomorphized cars. What did you think of the music for these two? The theme for Up is lovely. It got nominated for Best Original Score. It's very romantic. It's very... It's a waltz. Yeah. It, and it puts you... I think it does a good job of getting you in the headspace of why he's doing what he's mm-hmm. doing. So yeah, lovely is a, is a good adjective for it. What about the music for Cars? I don't remember the score very much, but I like the songs. What is it? Life is a Highway, Route 66, Our Town, which I believe won Best Original Song or was nominated. I will say the songs in Cars bothered me much less than the songs in Cars 2. Yeah. No, not Cars 2. What was, there was something recently where I was like, these songs are awful. Was it Cars 2? Treasure Planet. Treasure Planet. These songs are awful. (laughs) So, um... The songs, not... Yeah. The... <laughs> not the score. Not the score. It's another case of songs from one film versus the score from another. So, Grace, what's your pick? Cars are up. My pick is surprisingly Cars. This was an upset for me. I initially ranked this as 61. Tori ranked this as 22. And Heather ranked this as her last tier at 64. And then... Tori ranked up as 27, I ranked it as 23, and Heather ranked this in her tier 3. But yeah, it definitely wins for me. I think Cars might end up in the top third, in the 30s, probably. What about you? I'm gonna pick Cars also. The plot holes in Up, well not the plot holes, but the (laughs) physics holes just bother me. Like, I can't get over it because there's not that much to the movie. When I get hung up on that stuff, that means there's not enough in the movie for me to overlook that. The first 15 minutes isn't enough for me to overlook the next 
hour 15 of the movie wow yeah it's a beautiful short in the beginning it is like they could have just they could have just had that yeah (laughs) would have been really sad and i love eh, the main theme the married life theme it's great i can't believe we're doing this (laughs) i can we knocked out ratatouille i don't want to talk about ratatouille okay i am not ready (laughs) but i jammed to route 66 like on a weekly basis up was average at 23 and cars was average at 44 and that's what's happening right yep. now so cars moves on our next matchup is fighting dory versus bambi fighting dory is the sequel to fighting nemo which is absolutely one of my favorites it's about how dory lost her memory and how she tries to find her family again and the people that help her all the way Bambi is about the story of the young prince of the forest named Bambi and how he loses his mom and is raised by his father in the ways of the forest, basically. What were your first impressions of these two? I saw Finding Dory like on a whim. I knew it was about Dory finding her parents, but I didn't know anything else. And I watched it and I thought it was a cute little film. I think it's a very good, acceptable sequel to Finding Nemo. But it doesn't match the original. It doesn't surpass the original. And I think this is a tour de force for Ellen DeGeneres, who is a national treasure. Yes. And with Bambi, it was okay. I was kind of bored. When I got bored, I started making up headcanon for Bambi. Uh I didn't watch this movie until, I think, five years ago. I didn't know Bambi was a dude. I always thought Bambi was a female because... He's a prince. Well, I didn't know that until I watched the movie. He has horns, Tori. I I never saw grown Bambi. I always saw young Bambi, and young Bambi (laughs) doesn't have horns. And I don't know many dudes named Bambi. (laughs) We also don't know many dudes named Thumper. You don't know many dudes named Thumper. Or Flower. Or Flower. I feel like Flower's (laughs) more of a nickname. I don't think his... I Definitely. think he actually, his name is like Lawrence or something. I don't think they, it's probably they never say his, his name. His name is Lawrence Flower Skunk. <laughs> You're making stuff up. I told you, I had canon because yes, I got is. bored during this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Grace, what are your first impressions of Bambi and Finding Dory? I watched Bambi two nights ago and was bored. I thought I liked this movie. I hadn't seen it in 15 years, at least. There isn't much dialogue. I don't know if if you notice that much at all, but there really isn't that much dialogue. What there is isn't very powerful or, or meaningful. It's just kind of there for exposition. I found it odd that Bambi didn't have a better relationship with his father. We really only got to know his relationship with his mother. And then the king of the forest is just kind of like off doing his own thing the whole time. I saw Finding Dory in theaters when it came out, and I thought it was absolutely beautiful. I was really excited to see it, and I don't think it was amazing. As a sequel, it was definitely better than Toy Story 2, but I appreciated it. I thought it had good side characters. Ellen DeGeneres is great at it. I I enjoyed it. I disagree that this is a better sequel than Toy Story 2. You're wrong. I hated Toy Story 2. That's fine. You're entitled to your wrong opinion. You're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) entitled to your wrong opinion (laughs) let's get into the plot of bambi bambi's a really simple coming of age story we see bambi born and he's the prince of the forest and everyone in the forest comes to see him 
take his first steps and i was like okay that's a little weird but whatever it's basically about him learning lessons of the forest like he learns about hunters yeah and he learns about snow and winter for the first time and puberty yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) everyone likes that puberty button it's short it's only about an hour and five minutes long i think something like that maybe an hour ten Mm -hmm. and it feels like it goes on forever I did pay attention a little bit during Bambi, and I noticed that there are a lot of parallels to The Lion King. Not not just, you know, the loss of the parent. Spoiler alert, Bambi's mom dies. Oh yeah, she gets so shot. You don't see it. You don't see you it. You don't but see it. But she just it. never it's comes back. Yeah, she just, you find her, or does she? Yeah. No, you never see her after that. You never see her. I'm pretty sure you hear the gunshot. The end. Like, literally, she's not there anymore. There's the birth of the king. Or the prince, sorry. There's the birth of the prince between Bambi and Simba. There mm-hmm. is... Yep. These these aren't going to go in story order, but, you know, you have the two animal friends, Timon and Pumbaa, Flower and Thumper. You have the death of parental figure in Bambi's mother and Mufasa. Bambi leaving where he's from, just like Simba did. We don't really get a reason why he left. Like, his mom dies, and then just all of a sudden he's back. No, his father takes him, basically, and teaches him, I suppose... And then he returns as the prince of the forest. This oh, and he gets his he gets his woman. Yeah. Both movies end with Bambi in his rightful place at the top of that hill, just like Simba does at the top of Pride Rock with the offspring. Mm-hmm. Lion King is just way better. Yeah, they just give you a lot more dialogue and material and themes. What about the plot for Finding Dory? What did you think? The plot of Finding Dory is very similar to Finding Nemo. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't know that her adventures, like her mini adventures within the story, are as dynamic as Finding Nemo. Oh, no, no, like, close. Marlin's story is in very distinct chapters. He meets the sharks, they do the jellyfish thing, and then they meet the sea turtles, they're with the seagulls, and then they have to get into the office, and they have to get out, and it's, it's a memorable storyline, and there are very specific stories within it. And those stories are told by... The other fish in the sea. Fighting Dory has some of that. Yeah, they basically skip over the entire, like, ocean journey. Except for with Crush, because everybody loved they the turtles. They had to travel somehow. Right? He's a plot device. And, yeah, exactly. And so Marlin's story in the ocean is Dory's story, but... The aquarium. In the aquarium, yeah. Uh-huh. So that's where she meets all of her people. So instead of sharks, it was an octopus or a septopus. And... And then she, meets you know, the whales. goes from there to, she meets the, she re-meets the whales because apparently they knew each other except for the ooh, guy. <laughs> Bailey. Um, <laughs> Bailey. Bailey. Yeah. Bailey and Destiny. You I know, love Destiny. Destiny. And her were, she was so good. Yeah. She was hilarious. I feel like that's kind of like the connection between the two. So instead of ocean, it's aquarium. And instead of sharks and whatever, it was whales. I like the sea lions. Yes. Off, 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 off. They're basically the new seagulls. Yeah. I love Ed the octopus. I love octopus to begin with. I think they're so cool. Definitely my spirit animal. I thought his name was Hank. <laughs> it's Hank. It's yes, Hank. I'm reading, I'm looking at the voice cast, because the guy who plays him, his name is Ed. I think it's funny. They do a really good job of making him this cranky old guy who's like, okay, I guess I'll help you, but man, I really don't want to. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. What about the animation of these two? 
I think the the animation in Finding Dory is really improved over Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo was uh-huh. great, but by this time they had done The Good Dinosaur, which uh-huh. was leaps and had leaps and bounds better water animation <sighs> than Finding Nemo did, and I think they just applied that to Finding Dory and just took they just took everything and made it better. Mm-hmm. They just took everything from Finding Nemo yeah. and made it better. I remember seeing Finding Nemo and thinking, "Wow, this is gorgeous," and being so terribly impressed mm-hmm. and then that's what i said at finding I thought, finding dory because i was sitting there dory too and thought oh mm-hmm. man this looks really good because i didn't see finding yeah. nemo in theaters it was that open ocean area that they were trying to get to and when he was like no we found it and then they panned over to it that's when i was like oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah this is great i like this and this then is, the pan out at nice. the end of uh at the end of the movie where it's marlin and dory on the reef and they just pan all the way out and everything just gets blurry Uh and watery and then it's the end Uh of the water yep i will say when we get back to dory's parents and you see the seashells it was fairly predictable like we knew something like that was coming but i thought it was beautifully revealed but i thought it was very sweet and and kind of heart-wrenching like of course they've been looking for this whole time Mm-hmm. I thought they were dead. Yeah. It was the number of paths that got made. Yeah. yeah. Like the number of paths of seashells. Uh-huh. Like, that think of how many seashells so they far. had to get. Yeah. The animation of Bambi, we talked about um, how the animation in Sleeping Beauty uses still backgrounds with moving cameras a lot. And Bambi did use similar techniques to that where they're. Uh, layers of the shot that are staying still while the camera's moving or figures are in focus while the background's out of focus. There is a lot of that. This is the oldest film that we reviewed so far. This is the fifth Disney animated movie because it's Snow White, it's Pinocchio, there's Dumbo, and there's Bambi. Ah. And in looking at the animation, it has the same... It's all in the forest, uh-huh. and it all looks like the forest stuff from Snow White. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And it looks more watercolored than the stuff from Sleeping Beauty. The forest scenes in Sleeping Uh Beauty are a little bit more detailed. There's a little bit more texture to everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everything's a little more defined. Yeah. But the the forest stuff in Bambi looks more like a, not a blur, but it looks all like one scene. It all looks like one background. So... With the watercolory type of animation drawing, they were probably trying like that's probably what they were trying to go for. So do do you think they achieved what they were what they were trying to do? I think it's a step. It's so early for Disney movies that I think it was a definite definite stepping stone. Yeah, this was the first time they had mm-hmm. gone back to the forest because Snow White took place in a forest. Pinocchio was in a city slash inside a whale slash in a I think Stromboli was on a boat. Yeah. Fantasia, we're not going to talk about that. And then Dumbo was in a circus. Uh This is their first time back in the forest. And I think they wanted to do something different that wasn't exactly like Sleeping Beauty. Or sorry, that wasn't exactly like Snow White. Just a little bit of headcanon. I think that Adult Bambi is the elk deer animal (laughs) that's in the Firebird segment at the end of Fantasia 2000. That's my that's my head cannon. I don't think they're the exact same species, but Disney could have could have made that happen. I thought I had about Bambi because I wasn't watching them. I was watching the movie, but I was thinking second level. So Bambi's the prince. 
His father <laughs> is the great prince. I think of him as the king of the forest. So is Bambi's mom like a queen? Is she a concubine? How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, we we didn't meet other mama dear. We did. Other does. When? Feline. Oh, we did. It's right. yeah. another um, another Lion King similarity. I'm pretty sure Simba and Nala are related somehow. They're probably like second or third cousins. So we're thinking Bambi and Feline are, are related somehow? Our second or third cousin. Bambi's mom? I don't think they ever called her your highness or your majesty or queen like they gave mm-hmm. Bambi the title of little prince. prince. Huh. Yeah. So I believe huh. that Bambi's mom is just a baby factory for the king. Or, <laughs> sorry, the great prince. Oh. No. And that's fucked up. Oh. No. Well, I mean, that that kind of explains why he like was never around until yep. she got shot. They didn't call out that that was his father <laughs> until his father had to say it himself. Yeah. I mean, at yeah. least he was a... At least he showed up as a dad. Finally. (laughs) Do you think Ellen was better in this movie or in Finding Nemo? I definitely think she was better in Finding Nemo. I think part of that's the writing, though, because most of her writing in Nemo is for comedic effect. And there's a lot more exploration into Dory's story. So it makes sense that it's not all quite as funny. Tori, you ranked Finding Dory as 26th. I ranked it as 31st, and Heather ranked this in Tier 3. Its overall ranking is number 27. And then Bambi, Tori, you ranked it as 54. I ranked this as 20th. Why? I don't know. I like. I think it was just in my head as something, something higher. I think it will drop to probably the 40s, maybe the 50s. Heather ranked this in her Tier 3, and so it's averaged at in 39th. Okay, so which one of these wins for you, Tori? Finding Dory. Despite yeah, all the headcanon that I came up with for Bambi. <laughs> I think I like my headcanon for Bambi more than I like Bambi the movie itself. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Grace? Yeah, Finding Dory wins this one for me, hands down. I'm, I was really disappointed in Bambi. Our final matchup is The Great Mouse Detective versus Aladdin. The Great Mouse Detective is about a young mouse named Olivia whose father is kidnapped by a peg-legged bat and she teams up with a Sherlock Holmes figure of a mouse named Basil of Baker Street and they go on this grand adventure with a surgeon named Dr. David Dawson to try and find her dad. Aladdin is the story of a street rat named Aladdin who falls in love with the princess of Agrabah and is tricked into helping the royal vizier Jafar into finding a magic lamp, which Aladdin uses to gain the princess's favor and save Agrabah from Jafar's plans. So what were your first impressions of these movies? Let's start with The Great Mouse Detective. I was kind of bored by the Great Mouse Detective, to tell you the truth, because oh I wasn't gosh. a like I wasn't a fan of Sherlock Holmes in any medium. I mean, I like the two thousand nine movie, but that's about it. So I didn't catch all the Sherlock isms until this viewing, which is my second viewing ever. I'm s- still not really a fan. It's okay. I appreciate the Sherlock isms more now that I'm more informed about Sherlock. 
I love Aladdin. It's one of my favorites. I think I love everything about it. I call it the Dudes franchise. One of the Dudes franchises in the Disney canon. Really? I think huh. I think Robin Williams is probably Robin Williams is a genie is one of the best cast performances characters ever. And I think hands down so good. Probably the most unimitatable oh. performance ever. Like you can't recast the genie. Grace, what'd you think? I, uh, when I sat down to watch The Great Mouse Detectives, I kind of thought I was watching The Rescuers Down Under, which I remember liking as a kid. I'm not sure that I've, I had ever seen The Great Mouse Detective. I was bored by it, and the really the only thing that kept me kind of butted were the Sherlock references, which I think got better as the movie went on. It's got a very Gaston song thrown in there about Radigan. Oh, yes, um, definitely. The songs are in this aren't memorable at all. They're not particularly good, no. and they're not memorable, which is disappointing. Aladdin is, I, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but it's definitely a childhood favorite of mine, and I agree that Robin Williams as the GD is one of the most iconic Disney performances for sure. Let's dig into the plot of Aladdin a little bit. The plot is pretty straightforward. It's a adventure romance. Aladdin is a, you know, a street rat. He's homeless. Well, he lives on the street, but he's not homeless. He falls in love with the princess who he meets in the street by accident when she decides to run away from being a princess. And through a twist of fate, he ends up drafted by Jafar to help him find a lamp because Jafar's the evil guy because he has a cape and a bird. There's your giveaway. <laughs> and he has and he has mad facial hair. That's true. Yeah. I remember not being a fan of the scenes in the I don't know if you want to call it a cave, the treasure trove. The Cave of Wonders. Yes, the Cave of Wonders. I remember not being a huge fan of those when I was younger, but now as an adult, those are so cool. There's so much to look at. And yeah. it's it's a very cool yeah. sequence. And very they're gorgeous. Awe-inspiring, but also terrifying at the same time. I remember playing the video game for Aladdin on Nintendo. Uh-huh. And I remember the Cave of Wonders scene was always my least favorite. It was the Cave of Wonders, and then once you freed the genie, because it was so trippy. Uh-huh. And the best, the best level was when you get the lamp and you have to escape from the cave, because you have, you have to outrun... Sorry, outfly because you're on a carpet. The giant wall of lava that's uh-huh. chasing you without hitting the ceiling or any of the falling rocks. You know, the usual Super Nintendo level. <laughs> oh, I thought of Kingdom Hearts when you told me that. I was like, it happens it, it, there yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely happens there. <laughs> I just remember, I think the first time I beat it, it was the best feeling ever. And then a whole new world is the bonus level. Because you're just flying around getting jewels and there's really no no difficulty to it. Just grab all the jewels. Getting into the plot of The Great Mouse Detective, I did find a similarity to Cars 2. There's a fight scene inside Big Ben at the very end of The Great Mouse Detective. And we see that in Cars 2 as well. I had never, I don't remember seeing this movie, but I was like, hey, that happens in Cars 2. It's different. It's a very different scene. About that clock tower scene... 
That uh-huh. is a very historic clock tower scene because that is the first major scene in a feature-length animated movie to use computer animation. And it's also the first time that traditionally hand-drawn characters were put in a CG background. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's a it's a historic scene for Disney. Very deep. Do you want to talk about villains? Yeah, let's talk about villains because they were really a, a highlight of this. Radigan is voiced by Vincent Price. Radigan's such a great villain because he's charismatic. He's charming, which is he is uncomfortable. It is. Yep. He's kind of well. I was gonna say psychopathic in a way, but I'm not sure that's really the best definition of that word. But he does. He is very charming for a villain, and we don't necessarily see that. We kind of we can find something to hate in villains pretty easily. Not that we can't with Radigan, but he's... Charming's really the best word for it, uh, which is kind of a little off-putting. Mm-hmm. Because he's a bad guy. I'm not, like, a psychology major or anything, but from watching Criminal Minds... <laughs> so you are a psychology uh, <laughs> major. <laughs> no, that's not how they get their degree. Uh, I would almost classify him almost sociopath, because it doesn't seem like he feels empathy at all. He has an end goal. He doesn't really give a shit about anybody. He can kill off all of his comrades and be totally fine with it. And it kind of seems like, I know in Criminal Minds, they talk about how sociopaths kind of put on Uh like a front to blend in because they don't know how to feel. So they're just kind of like, oh, that's how they're reacting. So also Dexter. Yeah. Yeah. Dexter does the same exact thing. So I don't know. Like that's probably the closest thing i would psychologically put with radigan to our listeners call us out on our bullshit we are not yes, psychologists <laughs> no yeah. i did notice that radigan is a basically his hamartia his tragic flaw is he's a self-hating rat like anytime yeah anybody calls him a rat yes. he flips yeah. his shit flips and that's out that's ultimately what leads to his demise he goes feral when Basil calls him a rat again, rat again, damn. Ha. He goes feral when Basil calls him a rat in Big Ben. And also, more importantly, what leads to his demise is the fact that he's wearing a cape. And his cape <laughs> no gets caught in the no gear capes. in Big Ben. And then I think somehow that's what allows Basil. It's not what kills him. It's what allows Basil to get the upper hand. And then he just falls out of the clock. Side note. How do you think Edna feels about Dr. Yeah. Strange's cape? <laughs> She's probably really upset. I mean, it's self-aware. It's not like it's going to get him into trouble. Unless it does. Oh, then. yeah. No capes. She, no I, think, capes. I think the rules are clear. No capes. <laughs> but this one protects him. No case. We'll get into that when we get to Incredibles. <laughs> Let's move on to Jafar. Jafar is just as charming. I think he's more conniving than Radigan, and he has less minions to get rid of. Jafar is two-faced to a T, and oh, he's yeah. got the hypnotizing scepter going on, too. She will marry me. Yeah. But you're so old. <laughs> Creepy dude. <laughs> These are good, not good villains. Radigan's fine. Jafar's a good villain. I don't know that he's on caliber with Maleficent or Ursula. You don't think Jafar's on par with Maleficent and Ursula? I I don't know. Convince me. (sighs) Jafar is just as clever because he finds, he figures out that 
Aladdinus Prince Ali. He finds out how to get rid of Ali and get the lamp. His one flaw is when he made a power play. He got power hungry. If he would have used the genie's powers not to make him a genie, Jafar probably would have won. Uh-huh. I mean, he was in control of Agrabah. He underestimated Aladdin. That was his one mistake. He had everything else good. Let's talk about the score of these two and the, and the songs. We mentioned the songs of The Great Mouse Detective as being pretty weak. I can't recall the score at all. Do you have a favorite song from Aladdin? No. I like them all equally. <laughs> Okay. I'm not the biggest fan of Friend Like Me. I don't hate it, but it's if I have a least favorite song, because I like them all so much, it's going to be Friend Like Me. Uh-huh. Even though it's not in the movie, it was in the concept. I like Proud of Your Boy. It's really good. If you've never heard Proud of Your Boy, please go listen to it. Not the Clay Aiken version. Forget that. <laughs> Watch, Listen to the demo version. <laughs> I think they That's put it funny. in the, the musical which we're not uh-huh. going to talk. Let's not talk about the musical they did. right now. Uh-huh. I don't think it's that great. I will say I, within the last year at least, I have sung A Whole New World at karaoke. Did you do it as a duet? <laughs> yeah. With my friend Tom Moffat. <laughs> okay. I just noticed something. Both of these movies share directors. Oh, really? Yeah. Ron Clements and John Musker did both. The Great Mouse Detective and Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. They also cool. did Moana. Um. So Tori ranked Aladdin as seven. I ranked it as twelve. Heather put this in her tier one, so it's average at seven. Great Mouse Detective. Tori ranked as fifty seventh. I ranked it as fifty first, and Heather put it in tier three. Do we feel like these pretty much stay in their areas? Yeah. It might go lower, but I'd have to sit and think about all the movies that I'm moving down and which yeah, is right? which movies are actually worse than this. This isn't a bad film. I like the beginning. I have written down that the, the prologue, when uh, Olivia's father gets kidnapped, it's very Law & Order. Yeah. Like, if this was a Law <laughs> & Order episode, yeah. that would be what the cold open would be. And uh-huh. I really like that. I think it yeah, was a cold, it's, it's open, cold open, wasn't it? Because after, yeah, it was. After and he the music, taken, it comes up. The music when the credits yeah. come on after he, her father's been kidnapped is so cheery, and it's it's a really awkward juxtaposition to this terrifying. <laughs> my father's just been kidnapped, like, and this terrifying bat too. She's the like, bat yeah. is creepy. He is. He's got that like raspy voice, and it's gibberishy. Yeah. Like he speaks uh-huh. gibberish. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of Donnie from the Wild Thornberries. I haven't seen. Yeah, that. sorry. <laughs> then I'm cutting yeah, this part. Don't. Moving I... on. <laughs> so Grace, which one wins, Great Mouse Detective or Aladdin? Aladdin, yeah, obviously for sure. Why? Because it's better. No, because <laughs> uh, I like it. It well. It it is. It's got a better villain. It's got um. It's got some really fantastic songs. It's got a memorable score. It's got Robin Williams, which is enough on its own. That's why. What about you? I agree. My pick is Aladdin. It has a better hero too, and better side characters. Uh, uh, Aladdin's a lot more likable. We didn't even talk about Jasmine. We can talk about her in the next round. Jafar is a great villain, even though he got power hungry he's not as sociopathic as radigan uh-huh. the score is more memorable 
just the overall film has better high points than the great mouse detective so what's moving on okay so this week moving on we have inside out cars fighting dory and aladdin so three of our uh, pixar movies when we sat down to talk about these my last thought before we started was i think cars might be moving on today might upset yeah i wasn't expecting that at all because i read my notes like it makes me happy though like it it makes me glad that as as we're watching all of these movies we're not set in our old the nostalgia goggles are kind of coming off yeah 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 i i'm good with that do we have a a drunken dizzy i feel like aladdin is the obvious choice although we do have cars from last week which you're welcome to play along with those rules as well. What do you think? Drunk and Disney? I feel like you could just drink every time Robin Williams makes a quip. Probably. Yeah. I think you need one Robin Williams one and one Jafar one, and then that's it. Drink every time there's a song. Drink okay. every time Robin Williams impersonates someone or something. <laughs> Ooh. Drink every time Jafar says something snarky. Okay. Those are good. Okay. Yeah. Coming up next week, we have Toy Story 3. Oh, Jesus. Next week, we have Toy Story 3 versus The Black Cauldron, Lilo and Stitch versus Princess of the Frog, Wreck It Ralph versus Meet the Robinsons, and Pinocchio versus Monsters University. This whole. We're entering a new bracket next week. We're entering a. We're entering the. I believe the mini region? I forget what we call it. Yeah, the third region. Uh huh. This whole region is full of movies that i love like i'm so excited to talk about lilo and stitch and the princess and the frog i can't wait to talk about wreck it ralph and meet the robinsons i'm excited to rewatch pinocchio me too i'm really excited to rewatch pinocchio me too i hope yeah you know i'm apprehensive after going back and watching some of these older movies i'm apprehensive about pinocchio because it wasn't i didn't care for it much to begin with so i'm really hoping it's one that i appreciate more as an adult i think it's funny because i've never seen meet the robinsons I've seen The Princess and the Frog once, and I don't think I've ever seen The Black Cauldron, and I've seen Lilo and Stitch once. So I've, I have a lot of movies to watch this round that I've never seen before or don't remember. Toy Story 3, Monsters University, and Wreck-It Ralph are high on my list. It's going to be an intense episode. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please give us a five-star review. Tell us how we're doing. Also, follow us on Facebook.com slash Disneyverses. And on Twitter, at DisneyVS. Thanks for listening, as always. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.